Okay, well, I think sort of our paper ties in nicely with the issues raised about what is doctoral process and how do we think about what students, what happens when students do their research in professional doctorate and what is it that the deconstruction and reconstruction that goes on as part of the theorising. I mean, this is an early paper for us, um, it's a little bit of pilot work that, that we've undertaken. So what we want to share with you are sort of our initial thoughts on the idea of, of how students, what journeys students go on and how that works in the theorisation of their research. Um, to do this, what we initially um, sort of thought about really was the idea of, um, of a shift that goes on, an epistemological shift for some students when they deconstruct their professional world and then reconstruct it and, and that as part of the doctoral process I think there's an assumption around the deconstruction and reconstruction and that's the kind of revolving door that that kind of happens, that's what happens in doctorates um, and that's something that we're, we're expecting um, to, to go on but for the professional it raises a whole set of perhaps different sorts of issues about how, how far do, do students go and what happens with supervisors to support criticality in, in terms of the research process. Um, so I suppose our starting point is, um, is the idea of, of, for us, our own experiences from our doctoral programmes around this complex mix between what the professional world presents and what does the academic world present for the students and how that kind of how the students operate between both worlds and actually the professional world brings a lot of common sense assumptions about the way to see and the way to understand practice and perhaps the academic world brings a whole set of other assumptions about what does critical thinking mean as a component of the thesis? What does a theoretical, what does good theorising look like? And ultimately, what's the product, what's the doctoral product in terms of a, a well-theorised piece of work for a professional doctorate? I suppose, um, as I said, we, we kind of we talk about transfer between the professional world and the academic world and we somehow talk about it as, as a sort of a way of a, an ease of transfer when in fact um, in our discussions about that transfer process it's, it's far from, from easy um, and we also assume it's a good thing it's a good thing that you can shift from this professional world into the theorised world. So it's that kind of idea of, of what those sorts of assumptions about ease of transfer. There's also um, things about um, our, our, our um, kind of challenges in our professional role around criticality and whether there's space for criticality in the workplace and whether the space for criticality 
in terms of the doctoral process. We've already heard about the faster completion times, the kind of courses and directions through doctorates, and whether actually navigating, theorising for some students is, is really tricky around how much time they have, the depth and quality of the theoretical curriculum, how the students are led through that curriculum. So we're kind of asking lots of questions around how is, is criticality developed as part of the doctoral, doctoral process. And to do this, we, um, we felt initially that we'd actually um, think around talking to supervisors about their supervisory experience, about what, what is it that they do to make sense of the critical components of, um, of doc the doctoral process with their professional doctoral students. So there's a, a sort of a notion of unpicking a, a whole set of assumptions about this kind of transfer, the depth and quality of critical thinking, what are we looking for, the difference between evaluation and theorisation. So we're kind of beginning to to kind of tug at some of those some of those questions. Just one other thing we wanted to add at this stage was um, a note about the word pedagogy, which I find slightly problematic. Not least because if you go to anywhere else in Europe, it means something completely different, of course. But but even within the UK, um, it, it's got a slightly too directed feel to me. It's it's almost as if pedagogy is something we do with students, possibly even two students, and it's a little bit one way, it's a bit certain perhaps. So we, we prefer the notion of pedagogical relations or pedagogical relationships, which um, comes out of Bernstein actually, and I, I'm not an expert in Bernstein, but I know a little bit about it. So what Bernstein talks about is, is anything which sets up a pedagogical space and sets up a relationship which is pedagogical. And we're, we're not going to go and talk about that in any depth in this um, presentation, but we just wanted to note that that's the way we're thinking about pedagogy, not as a directive act that somebody engages in, but as the setting up of something that allows something productive and creative to happen. Okay. Right, so I'm, I'm not going to say a lot about literature, but just sort of, I think there are some things to note about, uh, and I think have come up already in, in the discussion, about the idea that, that there is an acknowledgement of the differences between professional doctorates and traditional routes, but we've got an increasing, I suppose, an increasing pressure to merge both things together, to sort of to not recognise the diversity of, of students and, and their doctoral experiences. Um, I suppose Wellington and Sykes and, and Wellington have also kind of identified the importance of sort of professional identities within professional doctorates, self-image, the lack of academic confidence, the idea of students needing time to get, get up to speed and kind of thinking about how they discover their critical voice. And also Newman's talked about this idea of, of actually people talk about variation in doctoral routes, but when it comes down to it, what is the variation? And, and uh, I think that's quite an important question about how does supervisory practice vary for professional doctoral students and what, what happens, how informed are supervisors about 
about how they actually work in creating that critical space for their students. So the, the sort of context literature, I think, relates to some of the things that have come up already in, in the discussion. As I said, this is an early um, sort of it's a pilot study that, that we've undertaken. And it involved just six supervisors, um, three from each institution, three from Roehampton and three from Plymouth. And we conducted semi-structured interviews asking supervisors to talk about their practice in supervision in order then to construct our own understanding of, of the meaning implied in what they said. And in particular, we focused on how the student's relationship with the professional practice affects the supervision. So are there any things about the professional nature of the student and, and what happens, if at all, in the supervisory process? How does that work? And how do supervisors support students in critiquing practice? So the deconstruction of, of that professional persona uh, in terms of supervision. We also um, looked at um, the role of theory and theorising. We asked supervisors what kind of, of theorising students engage with, what do they do with it in terms of their thesis work, and how this is supported. So how do students then take ownership for theory? How does that happen as part of the supervisory process? And what, what kind of opportunities do the students have to think around um, different types of theoretical selections um, and in some cases you know what what kind of how do supervisors inform that is it from their ex their experience or do they take students wider okay so uh, we've got a very short time and, and even in six pilot interviews you can imagine quite a lot of things that one could say. So we've tried to bring it all together in a single diagram. I, I have a colleague at work who says a diagram is only useful for the person who drew it. So uh, there's quite a lot in that. So what I'm going to do is kind of step you through it and try and capture it all in one. We've also then got some slides with some uh, quotes on. I suspect we won't have time to show those but they're going to be uploaded and we thought we'd put them on anyway to um, illustrate the sort of um, things people have said. So this is how we've been trying to think about the whole thing and what's come out of these interviews. We've got workplaces and, and we've got a university and we've got students who move between the two. One thing we'd like to kind of um, suggest straight away is uh, a nice distinction that I've come across in the literature between space and place. These are not just spaces, they're, they're places. And places are spaces but with discourses and di dialogues and meaning associated with them, aren't they? And we think that's really significant. It's, we don't think it's very helpful to talk about them as just as spaces, which feels a bit empty. These places have got very particular things going on in them, um, which seem very significant for students. So the first thing then that we'd like to link to these is, is the, this thing that was in the title of our presentation, which is what we see as a kind of shift in the epistemology between these two places. So typically for people in the workplace, they're working with what Jean Lade calls a common sense discourse. You know, it's a practical discourse. It's an objective discourse. It's a discourse of kind of cause and effect because these are education professionals getting on with their education professional life. Um, and that's the kind of discourse which, which tends to surround that workplace. <coughs> I know that's a generalization, but I think it's probably a reasonably fair one. Um, 
what, what we're encouraging them to do then is to come to a university space, a place, and, um, uh, and engage in something which requires them to become critical. Certainly on our programmes, and actually having heard a little bit of what's gone on already, this may not be common to all programmes, but certainly on our programmes, to engage in a kind of way of thinking which is broadly to see the world as a socially constructed place, to understand um, that there's many meanings for things. Um, and to and to engage in a kind of critical discourse which involves that very different way of seeing the world, and we think that's a big jump. That's a very straightforward, but I think a really important observation. Um, for many people, it's a massive jump. Well, one of the things that then come out of the interviews, but uh, one or two of our um, supervisors in particular have noted uh, a second thing that happens then, from a research perspective, when when you think about these students' research. Uh, framework, they tend to come, so the supervisors tell us, um, I think our own experience as well, they come with a kind of evaluative research head-on, because that's the research framework in the workplace. For most education professionals, their work is evaluation, um, sometimes quite informal, sometimes formalised. Their job is to evaluate the effect of things and try and make them operate differently. And one of the things that the university space place is trying to do is to change that and turn it into a framework which tries to be able to explain why those things happen. Not just to evaluate and say that they do and how could we change them, but what's going on underneath that makes them like that. And we think these things are very much connected up. That evaluative research frame goes hand in hand with that objective common sense discourse way of talking about the world and this explanatory research frame fits in here and of course what this needs that this doesn't need is some kind of theorizing possibly some kind of theory which may be in the sense that that may be a theory that they acquire from somewhere else or some theorizing of their own um, and again I noticed the distinction that was made earlier between you know getting theory from elsewhere and putting it to work and and theorizing from your own you know, from within, uh, and it could be both those things. Um, so um, that's a kind of uh, starting point. So that leads then, um, the, so the supervisors kind of are suggesting to these essentially three challenges. I don't know how well you can read that at the back, so I will read them. So as I've just said, there's this shift in both an epistemological framework, but also in a kind of methodological framework that people have to make. I jump from one to the other. Um, Secondly, these people are very used to, to what it means to have sound judgment in their workplace. You know, they're all highly competent professionals. But somehow, they have to work out what sound judgment is in an academic context. What would a good thesis look like, for example? What would be a robust research methodology? And that, we think, is, a, is also a very demanding and big jump for them. And therefore, what we often experience is that these people, as I think we all know, have emotional but also professional challenges in making that shift from one place to another. Um, and really that there's a big, um, there's a lot of emotional and professional uh, things going on for them. There. And it's into all that then that we ask, well, what do you do about it? So when we say to supervisors, what do you do about it? What they do is they create a kind of pedagogical space through aspects of their supervision, which we had 
two hours, we'd tell you about in detail, but we're going to summarize <laughs> as, as really four things that, that they, we picked up. Firstly, making things which are invisible visible, making the criticality of academic work visible to people rather than invisible. Secondly, using theory in some kind of way. So as Judy said, we asked specifically, how do you use theory? What, how do you develop it? How do you put it to work with students? How do they use more particularly reading? And how do they use more particularly writing and critiquing as particular strategies for, um, for developing these kinds of things? So that's kind of captured in a, in a real nutshell with some of the things we've been trying to think about. Um, as I say, we're not, we won't use our data slides, but should we skip over yeah. then to, okay. the, to the end? Is that okay, Jim? Yeah. Um, so um, when you see this on the website, we've got various slides which try and capture those, some of those points there and just provide you with some, um, provide you with some uh, quotes to illustrate them. So just two more, two more slides to finish off. Um, we're just thinking about, about this idea that EDDs are about kind of professional problem solving. Uh, you may or may not disagree that they are, but but certainly there is in the in the literature and in the kind of history of EDDs, they've been very much about the idea that it's about professional problem solving. I've been reading some work by Carol Backey, who's an Australian academic. I don't know if you know her, but but she's very interested in policy as discourse. And and this quote is from her. So I will read it because you may not be able to read it at the back. It says it's inappropriate to see governments as responding to problems that exist out there in the community. Rather, problems are created or given shape in the very policy proposals that are offered as responses. In other words, policy as discourse, what we're interested in is not what, where the, what the problems are, but how the problems come about. And we thought that was really interesting because it seemed to reflect exactly this dilemma that we're finding with students. This is the shift. It's shifting them from being professionals who are interested in problems which they perceive as existing already and how to solve that in an evaluative way to recognising that actually problematization and how the th these problems come about is what they need to be involved in. And that's an explanatory issue. And it's just captured in this quote from, this is one of my, my um, colleagues' uh, supervisors, who says, there's a common sense discourse in teaching over which there's really no point in resisting because you've got no choice. So, for example, they can't accept that there is no good way of interpreting, say, standards, because all the ways are socially constructed. They're always looking for the right way of interpreting it. And that, for me, is an epistemological problem. They don't understand how language and problems are constructed to serve people's interests. We felt that quote kind of captured the, this dilemma that people are experiencing. So tentatively, we leave you with a few questions about sort of some of the assumptions that we're making around process, around what do we assume um, goes on in this transfer in in that space between students moving between um, a, a kind of evaluative frame and a critical frame um, and what does it mean for them when they have to let go of the sort of evaluation and move to to sort of asking questions more deeply embedded in the kind of ways of working um, and, and I think that that sort of links a little bit more to the emotional spaces, how challenging that is for students to, to do that. Um, and really what implications are raised, there, therefore, for, for the doctoral process? How are we 
sharing, discussing, uh, analysing um, how that kind of shift shift occurs. And this is a, a very small scale piece of research, but I think it opens up a lot of questions for us about where next we might go in, in thinking about um, doctoral process. Thank you.